All right, well, good morning. Uh, my name is Jeff Geiger. I am one of the elders here at Dallas Church. I am not preaching today, so you guys get a break from me after last week. <laughs> uh, John Ellings is going to come up in just a minute, but before he does, I want to take a moment and kind of celebrate with you and then ask for your help. Have you guys noticed a little change in our building? Yeah, the, the new siding and the paint job that has just very quickly gone up in the last few weeks. That doesn't look beautiful. You're going to see some slides on it right here. Well, um, let me go back and kind of tell you a little bit about our story and how it led up to this. So many of you have heard this. If you've been to our starting point class with Pastor Ben and Pastor Andrew, we are a, a, a almost a 16-year-old church now. We started in 2007. And when we started our first year, we met in the Whitworth Elementary Cafeteria. How many of you were there in those early days? Anybody in the building? A couple yet? Yeah, Justin, you were there, I think. You were a lot littler then. And, uh, <laughs> but we, we met at that school, and it was great. And then we graduated to Dallas High School for about six years, and we met in the Drama Auditorium. We met in Bowman for our services, and then we used a few of the classrooms at the high school for our kids' church. And that was great. You know, God uh, gave us that space. We were able to rent from the school district on both those, those places and have church. But you know what? In those days, we dreamed and we prayed of a day when we might have our own space, when we might be able to do more for our community too. Because think about it, we were uh, really what they call a church in a box. We had all of our gear in about a 20-foot trailer that had to get unpacked every Sunday morning, all the sound equipment for the band, all the, uh, the kids' curriculum and the boards for the teachers, uh, our signage, all of our stuff, it had to come in and out of that trailer every week uh, doing church in a box. And we did that well and faithfully. We parked that trailer at uh, Daryl and Patricia Dumont's house out on East Ellendale every week. You might remember seeing it in those days. Thank you, Dumont's, for letting us uh, park that, that trailer there. But we were, we, were, uh, we were limited, really, by those four hours on Sunday morning uh, being a church in a school, right? So if we wanted to have a small group or a, a lunch meeting or anything else that we might have, have hoped for, it had to happen somewhere else. We could, we could do small groups, and, uh, and people would host those in their, in their homes, which we still do a lot nowadays, too, which is great. Uh, youth group, we didn't have a building to meet in, and so Daryl and I, uh, we were the, the youth leaders in those days. We met in my garage, and it was great. We threw up a, a, a sheet and then did a projector screen and watched DC Talk videos until the kids got sick of them. So, <laughs> but it was awesome. But, uh, but again, we were limited. And so we, we did, we prayed and, and we tried to be patient and say, Lord, gosh, what can we do with our own space? Meanwhile, uh, the Lutherans who owned this building, I don't know if you knew this, this, this is an old Lutheran church uh, forever, from back from the 40s, right? Well, they uh, had kind of outgrown this place. They built a beautiful new facility out off of Fur Villa. And they moved over there in about 2009 or 10. And then they rented this building out and they put it on the market. And in those early days, 2012, 13, I think their asking price was around 475000 And there was no way we could afford that. So we, we knew it was for sale. We stayed in touch with them. And you know what? We kept praying. 
we kept saying, Lord, you know, we, we'd love to have that space or any space, but, but gosh, that's, that's way too much. We can't take on that much debt. Well, over time, the Lutherans came down on their price. And we were so blessed. Early in 2014, we were able to, to make a deal with them and buy this building for 250000 Yeah, praise God. When we bought the building, we knew there were three big things that were going to need to be fixed on this building really pretty quick. Uh, the roof, the siding, and this lovely flooring that you are sitting on here and back through the fellowship hall. <laughs> so we were fortunate that first summer of 2014, we knocked out the roof. So we got a good solid roof over us to protect from you know, leakage and all those kind of things. But then we knew the siding and then the flooring and other things we were going to have to wait. So we prayed and we tried to be patient and, and be good stewards of the monies that were coming in. And, you know, God, God did. He, he grew the church. And uh, the wonderful thing was all of a sudden here we were in a building. We were not limited to just Sunday mornings, you know, four hours a week. And what did that mean? It meant so much. It meant that we could host uh, Alcoholics Anonymous on Friday nights. They've been meeting here for years on Friday nights in our fellowship hall. It meant that uh, Thursday nights we could have our Seven Pillars small group meet here. Uh, Saturday mornings, we could have uh, David Bestenbacher and his Bible study group meet back at the fellowship hall. I call him uh, David Bestenbacher and the Merry Men. But we could do a lot more than just Sunday mornings. We could do block parties like you guys have been hearing about. We're going to talk more about that. That's this uh, week from today, next Sunday, and, and invite our whole community to come hang out with us here and feed them and welcome them in, in good, good fellowship. Uh, so there's so much going on there. Um, we even have had the chance in recent years to be a training center for suicide prevention workshops. That, that people can take. So we've been able to host that. Uh, we've also hosted the uh, Dallas Ministers Association, uh, some of their meetings and luncheons, again, back in our fellowship hall. So God's been so good to us, you guys, with this space. And we don't even know all the ways that he might like to use it as we grow forward into the future together, right? So I have a big ask for you today. We've got this beautiful siding done. The roof's already been taken care of years ago. That last uh, big project of the three is the flooring, right? And, and not just the all new flooring through here. Now that we've got the beautiful siding on the outside, uh, Andrew's got some uh, mock-ups, I think, right there. We want to put some nice signage on the building so people can see us and find us and know that we're a church that would welcome them in, right? And we also want to do a little bit of uh, furniture, add some furniture for some of our fellowship areas uh, because groups, again, meet here and our staff does too, and we want to kind of spruce that up a little bit. So. I want to ask for your help. This new building improvement campaign, it would, it would take care of those three big things. The flooring, uh, signage for the outside of the building, and then some new furniture. And this is a, a bigger ask. Um, we, uh, uh, just about three years ago, we did a big refi on the, on the mortgage for this building, right? Interest rates got really low. They got down to about 2.5%. And so we refinanced the mortgage. Well, at that time, we also went ahead and took out an additional 100000 to enable to mostly do the siding. Because the, the, to borrow that money was so cheap then, and our mortgage wasn't very much, so we, we did that. 
well, we were going through COVID and everything, and as you'll probably remember, if you were working on any kind of a house project in those days, construction costs and material costs went through the roof. And so we, again, tried to practice some patience and waited and said, when's the right time to do the siding? Well, finally, this year, those construction costs have started to come down a bit. They're, they're still not cheap. <laughs> but we went ahead and lined up uh, with a lot of help from Ryan Greer, uh, ending up uh, finding our, our right siding partner, uh, Bedrock. We were able to knock out the, the, the siding. And, and you guys see the result. Well, we didn't use all that money. We didn't use all 100,000 from that money we borrowed about two and a half years ago. We only used about 90 of it. So we have 10,000 left. So this new improvement phase that we're talking about today, it actually will cost about 55,000 total, but we've already got 10 to give us a jump start toward that. So what I want to ask of you and, and myself and all of us is let's pray, let's plan, and let's raise that other 45000 so we can add it to our ten, and we can do the flooring, do the signage, do some nice new furniture, and really raise the whole quality level of this building to a, a new place and continue to ask God, Lord, how might you use this building? What else are you calling us to? How could we welcome more people in in your name and, and grow your kingdom? And so um, I want to ask you to, to pray about that with me. Um, and again, we don't do this often. This uh, kind of a bigger extra money raising campaign, the last time we remember doing it on a church-wide scale was about 2016. So it's, it's been a while. We have had a few smaller improvement projects over the last few years, and many of you have helped on those. We've um, added some new flooring back in our, our church offices and our kids' classrooms. We've upgraded and renovated some of the doors and, and things upstairs. Uh, we've done some blinds and, and a few uh, kind of cosmetic improvements on the sanctuary, and many of you were very generous in that, so thank you uh, for your help. But we haven't done this kind of a bigger ask in, in quite a while. So I hope you understand. We don't take that lightly. Uh, we know uh, that we're all, we're all looking at our own budgets and our, our own, uh, um, you know, what we can do there. And so uh, we, we appreciate you taking the time to consider this. We want to run this campaign for the next two months. So it starts today. We'll run it through the end of September. And our hope is that we would raise that additional 45000 to go with our 10 and then we can schedule the flooring people to come in in October, order the signage and get that going and have all the nice new improvements in place before the holidays. Right, so we're ready to really celebrate and welcome people in. So would you guys, uh, would you guys pray with me now? Uh, we're going to get ready for John to come up in a minute. Um, we appreciate you listening and considering this. If you have any questions about this or about our church finances or anything like that, uh, feel free to, to talk to me. You could talk to Mike Wilson, who's on my elder team too. He's, he's our church treasurer, in, in fact, also. Uh, you could talk to, to Stephanie or Andrew um, and, and ask those kind of questions. We try to be as transparent as we can about money matters around here because your money and my money, it does matter. <laughs> and God is, uh, is, is looking at that. Um, we also want to remind you, this is extra. This is beyond our tithe, our normal monthly giving that we're called to. You know, in the Bible, it says you and I are to give our first 10% to support the local church. And what that 10% does around here at Dallas Church is it pays for our building mortgage and our utilities. It pays our staff. 
and helps them take care of their families. It pays for next week's block party. You know, we plan for that in our budget and we try to work hard to um, rent things at the right prices and, and make sure that that money stretches far. But uh, this is extra. So, so that's tithing and that's, that's you know, our, uh, we're, we're um, called to that by God. This is extra. And we realize that. Um, so pray, plan, and let's give and let's see if we can raise this 45000 and kind of bring our building to the next level. Would you pray with me? Lord God, uh, thank you that it's okay to talk about money at your church. <laughs> Lord, help us to be generous people. Help us to, to talk to our spouses, to, to look at our budget and see uh, how we might help. Uh, God, we thank you that you uh, allowed us to, to purchase this building for such a good deal, uh, to make some improvements. And now, Lord, we want to kind of finish off the last real big one to make this a really inviting place, a welcome place uh, for us, but also, more importantly, God, for so many people in this community that need to know the hope of who Jesus Christ is, that need to be invited uh, to come sit with us on a Sunday morning, to come to our block party, to come to our other events, and to be made welcome and know that there's a place in the kingdom of God for them. Lord, help us. Help us to be generous givers. In Jesus' name, amen. We are gathered here today because of our love for minestrone soup. That's what they said at the OSU Food Innovation Center, and I was between jobs, which means I did not have one, and I was applying for all the things I could apply for, and I got what I think was probably my best job ever. It was only for one hour, and I got paid $30, which probably adjusted for inflation is probably $300 now. And I had to eat soup and fill out surveys. Salty? Too salty? Enough beans? But before I ate my soup and filled out my surveys, they gathered us together and said, we are all gathered here today because of our love for minestrone soup. Well, welcome to Dallas Church. You don't need to love minestrone soup to be here, but we are gathered here today to celebrate the work that Jesus did on the cross for us and to celebrate and remember the lives he's called us to live. So welcome. We're in Dallas, Oregon. It's Crazy Days weekend. Is anybody tired from Crazy Days weekend? There was music downtown. There were booths and parades, all kinds of stuff. The theme this year was Christmas in July. And sort of like when we celebrate Christmas in December, it's kind of hard sometimes to know what we're really celebrating. There's a lot of different things going on. Um, but welcome. We're glad you're here. Um, today, we're going to continue our series in the book of Matthew, and we're going to look at questions. We're going to look at some questions. Um, my prayer today is that we would all leave knowing our next step, knowing the thing that we are supposed to do next. So, if you will, let's get started. Um, I was drinking a can of Dr. Pepper recently, and I noticed on the can it said comments, questions, and there was a number. And so I called the number, and I asked my go-to question. Now, this is my go-to question when I'm traveling, or when I'm at a restaurant, or when I'm feeling chatty around someone, or want to embarrass my family, or hear a story. I ask, what is the strangest question you've heard working here. Now, sometimes strange is better than strangest because you don't have to rank it, but what is a strange question you've heard working here? So I call the can on Dr. Pepper and talk to David, 
to see what the strangest question he has heard working there. Now, half the time when you ask this question, people say the question you're asking right now, which, I mean, okay. A quarter of the time, people don't want to hear it, they're busy, they don't have any time for it. But that other quarter of the time, you hear a good story. Twice this summer, I've heard somebody say, people have asked me what elevation, at what elevation or where do deer turn into elk? We asked somebody that worked at Mount Hood, they, somebody that worked at Mount Hood was asked, where do they put the moguls in the summer? Which are the snowy bumps, right? I was asked last week, have you always been this tall? No, I have not. So I called, the, can, I called the, the number on the Dr. Pepper can, and I asked, what's the strange question you received there? And apparently, David told me, that a lot of people call and they want to know what are the 23 flavors in Dr. Pepper? What is the recipe? Um, now, as you can guess, I think that's a proprietary secret and he wasn't handing them out and I don't think he knew. But this morning, we will hear from Jesus about the recipe for living the life he has called us to live. And I ask you, what questions are you asking today? Like so much else, asking questions is a skill, right? Um, think about kids and students and all your different relationships. If you struggle asking a small question, uh, how are you going to ask the big questions? Have you ever been in that situation with people and you're like, I need to ask this question, but it's kind of a big one, right? So asking questions is a skill and something we should practice. So ask questions. Now, one of my favorite things to tell students, and they're so, they yawn when they hear it, and they're like, yes, I know, but... When you ask a question, you're making a place in your brain for the answer. It's proving openness, right? Because sometimes we're given the answer and we don't have a place for it. There's no place to store it. We're not open to it. It bounces right off of it. Um, we're not ready to act on it. So asking questions proves an openness. What questions are you asking today or are being asked? What do you want to know? Who are you asking? Are you ready for the answers? Today, we're going to talk about questions. Last week, Jeff talked about family origin stories, marriage, divorce, the show Yellowstone. He shared some about the origin of this, of this church, like we just heard, actually, and his family. And he asked us to, to ask somebody about their family origin story. And I would love to sit there and talk to you about it. Did anybody do that? Did anybody ask someone else about their family origin story? Um, I once asked this girl if she wanted to spend the rest of her life with me, if she would be my. Now, I said this first service, and I've, I still think it's hilarious, and <laughs> we always call each other our holy matrimony buddies, but uh, <laughs> she said yes, and my kid's origin story begins when I asked that question, will you marry me? Many stories begin with a question. A few weeks ago, Pastor Andrew asked us what we would do for a Klondike bar. He reminded us that Jesus taught us that we are forgiven and that we should also forgive. And also, he asked us what kind of life Jesus was asking us to live. What is your family origin story? What would you do for a Klondike bar? What would you do for eternal life? What kind of life are we meant to live? These are all questions. Today we're going to continue our series in Matthew, 
and examine a few specific questions. In Matthew 7, 7, Jesus says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. But as we will see, and as you probably know, we might not always like what is given to us, or what we find. There might be some time between asking and receiving. A question is a seed, and often the answer is the fruit. And sometimes the fruit looks different than what we thought we planted. We reap what we sow. Ask, seek, knock, Jesus said. Would you pray with me this morning? Lord, what do you want us to hear this morning? Lord, what questions do you want us to ask? Lord, please give us the wisdom to ask, the ability to hear the answer, and the strength and courage to obey. Amen. So, questions. Have you ever worn a bracelet? Um, a slap bracelet? I miss those. Um, or there's all kinds of bracelets. My daughter got, gets into pretty big bracelet-making phases. And a few years ago, I don't know, 20 years ago, there was a popular bracelet, popular in some circles, and it had these initials on it. It says, WWJD. What would Jesus do? And the idea was that, thing you look at your wrist and ask that question all the time, right? I remember once somebody gave me, when I was real young, a little booklet that had the Ten Commandments in it. And I thought, you know, I should carry this around with me, put it in my pocket. And uh, I told somebody this. And I was like, you know, if, in case I need to wonder what, if I should do something, I pull out this little booklet. <laughs> but, and they said, you know, those are the kind of things you really got to memorize. You know, I was like, should I kill them? No. <laughs> you know, it's like those are some of those things you really got to put in the, the memory, the long term. But uh, the bracelet said WWJT. Now, I heard, I heard a pastor give a sermon on that once. They said, that's really not the right question because you are not Jesus. And the question should be, what would Jesus have me do? Right? We are called to be followers of Christ, but we are not Jesus. Christ-like, yes. Christ, no. So, you know, WWJHMD, what would Jesus have me do? Um... I heard another pastor try to boil Christianity down into a question, and he said, what does love require? What would Jesus have me do? What does love require? These are good questions. Um, if you would this morning, we're going to get back into Matthew. Turn your Bibles to Matthew 19.16. Matthew 19.16. We're continuing our series now, and we will read to verse 30. And as we read, look for questions. Those are those things. Now, if you've ever seen text messages from people, you don't see them in there. But the question, it's kind of like a question mark. There's this little symbol like that. Look for those. The subheading in your Bible probably says the rich young man or ruler. And this story can also be found in Mark and Luke. Now, this young man, we'll call him Ryan, is probably between 24 and 40. Well, rich, young, man, Ryan. I don't know. I like it. But... Here we go. We're going to read Matthew 19, 16 through 30. And I'm reading in the NIV. Now a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied. There is only one who is good. If you want to enter life, obey the commandments. Which ones? The man inquired. Jesus replied, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, honor your father and mother, and love your neighbor as yourself. All these I have kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? 
Jesus answered, If you want to be perfect, go, sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad, because he had great wealth. Then Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you the truth, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Peter answered him, We have left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth. At the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. Okay, so what did we just read? So Jesus is in Judea, right? He's near the Jordan River, and he is teaching and healing. Folks are asking questions and challenging him. And so Ryan, this rich young man, comes up to Jesus and asks a question. He wants to know, how do I live forever? He wants to know how to get to heaven, how to enter the kingdom of God. Now, he asks his teacher, how do I pass this class? This story is also told in Mark and Luke. In Mark, it says he got down on his knees to ask this question. What good thing must I do? It took some courage to ask this honestly, right? In a class, sometimes have you been in a class and everybody has the same question, but sometimes nobody will ask it, right? Um, The question asker is an important role. But Jesus talks back. He says, hey, there's only one who is good and that he should obey the commandments. And Ryan, the rich young man, says, which ones? Jesus lists six, right? Don't murder, don't adultery, don't steal, don't lie, honor your parents, love your neighbor as yourself. And then Ryan, the rich young man who's heard this before, says, what else? What am I missing? What do I lack? He knows there is more. Do you know this feeling? Have you ever been on a job site and you think you're done and you're like, I, there's probably something else. And do you ask your boss, is there something else I should be doing? Um, right now we are trying to train our kids and all the neighborhood kids that show up in our house to ask this question. Um, and it's this. Um, how can I help? Now what I can tell you about my kids and the neighborhood kids that, that end up in our house, in our backyard, is all of their vocal cords work very well. <laughs> they work very well. You can hear them. Um, but they don't love asking that question because they know we probably have an answer. And that answer will require something of them. What does love require? How can I help? What would Jesus have me do? Let's take a moment, though, to appreciate the courage of asking that question. Even the courage of asking, coming up to somebody and asking, how can I help? Because when you ask that question, you're really opening yourself up for an answer and probably something to do. 
right? It's kind of cold if you went up to somebody, hey, how can I help? And you're like, oh, wow, okay, well, see ya, <laughs> right? <laughs> right, but you're opening yourself up there. So Ryan, the rich young man, asked that question. And Jesus told Ryan, he said, if you want to be perfect, sell your possessions, give to the poor, and then come, follow me. Jesus told him his next step. He asked, Jesus answered. So this morning, what specifically is God asking you? This morning, this week, this year, have you asked? What did you hear? How did you respond? Did Jesus say, delete, give, invite, volunteer, offer, quit, start, move, rest, plug in, unplug? There are a lot of verbs, but (laughs) what? Do you know? Ryan, the rich young man, went away sad. He was wealthy, and what Jesus asked him to do was costly. There was this book a few years ago that I used to recommend to students and a lot of people, and it was called, What Should I Do With My Life? And the author was a journalist, and he just interviewed a bunch of people that had a bunch of different jobs, and he asked them about careers and life choices and all those things. And sometimes things worked out, and sometimes they didn't, and there were regrets and victories and all that. But there was an interview in there that I've been thinking about for years, and a man said, hey, this opportunity came up, and I knew I should do it. It was the thing that I, I don't think he said I've been praying for, but it was that, you know, like, I knew this was the thing I should do. This was my next step. And he said, I didn't do it because we just bought this couch. And they had just bought this couch. Now, for years, I was very happily in my judgment about this person that had just bought this new couch and, like, oh, they didn't follow their destiny because they had a new couch. Uh, But... I mean, a few years ago, <clears throat> my wife and I bought a brand new couch for the first time. Now, we hadn't been couchless before. We had nice couches from driveways or hand-me-downs, but, I mean, furniture is expensive, and um, it wasn't cheap, but it was really comfortable to sit on. But that man said, I would have done it, but I just bought this couch. Ryan, the rich young man, went away sad, because he was wealthy, he might have just bought a couch. Can you think of a time when you did not do the thing you were asked to do, the thing that love required, the thing that Jesus was asking you to do, because convenience, comfort, a lack of courage, or maybe even a couch? We don't know the rest of the story. Maybe Ryan did it. With God, all things are possible. What is God asking you to do? And it might seem impossible now, but what is God asking? We may have missed the call in the past, disobeyed, not heard, not taken the step. God forgives. It's not too late. Repent and get back on track this morning. What does love require? W-W-J-H-M-D. That really doesn't roll off, does it? (laughs) What would Jesus have me do? Like Ryan, the rich young man, asked God. He got on his knees and asked. Here is verse 22. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. 
Now I want you to picture Ryan walking away. He just approached Jesus, and he went away sad because Jesus told him something. And in a minute here, we're going to imagine maybe another conversation that the rich young man, Ryan, had. His disciples were there overhearing this conversation, and Jesus tells them that line about it's easier for a large animal to go through a tiny hole. But with God, all things are possible. I don't think we know the end of Ryan, the end of his story. But Peter chimes in. He's like, I'm listening to all that. And Peter's kind of the question asker. We're going to hear about Peter in a minute, too. He kind of chimes in and a lot of times speaks for the group, right? What about us? We don't have new couches. We have left everything already. And Jesus tells them, his disciples, that they will receive a just reward. But ends in verse 30 on this puzzler. But many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. And now this line is setting up a story that Jesus is going to tell his disciples, preparing and commenting on their what about us question. And that's where we'll pick up next week in the book of Matthew. And I hope you join us there. Now we prayed a few minutes ago that God would speak to us this morning. Have you heard anything? What questions are you asking? What does love require in your life right now? At home? At work? In Dallas, with your family, your neighbors, what would Jesus have you do? As followers of Christ, our job is to obey the commandments, to love God, to love our neighbors. Like Ryan, the rich young man, we can go to Jesus and ask quite specifically what we lack. In Mark's account, it says that he got down on his knees and asked, I believe that God will tell you will tell us. Now, here's a fun game. Ask a teacher. Sometimes students will come to them and ask what is necessary to pass a class or get a higher grade. There are answers that apply to everyone, and we all know these. For example, obey the commandments, read the syllabus, follow instructions. And there are also more tailored, specific, student-related answers. To the, to the situation those students are in. For example, turn in assignment number four, revise that paper, redo that test, show up on class on Tuesdays. Ask a teacher, sometimes those students come away sad. They walk away sad because they have no intention of turning in assignment number four or revising that paper or redoing that test or coming to school on Tuesdays. On a table near you, there are sticky notes. And on them they say, I will. If you can, grab one of these today or right now and write what you will do this week. What will you follow up on? If you can, write this. I will ask God what specifically he wants me to do next. Maybe he told you this morning or yesterday, write it down. Ask and obey. And maybe you'll share what you wrote down last week or the week before. If you can, you can turn with me now to Matthew 16, 21. We'll go back a bit. And in this interaction, 
Jesus is talking to his disciples about something he must do. Jesus is going to go to the cross and die. And he's honestly not real enthused about it. And again, Peter speaks up. And he tells Jesus, no, it's not necessary. Peter tells Jesus, no, no, no. I mean, that's a plan, but yeah, you don't need to do that. Why? No, no, no. And listen to what Jesus says to Peter, his friend, here in verse 16, 23, in the book of Matthew. Peter, or Jesus tells Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Sometimes, when God asks you to do something, the people closest to you might tell you it is not necessary. This was Peter, Peter, one of Jesus' closest friends. Now I want you to imagine Ryan, the rich young man. He went up to Jesus. He asked a question. Jesus answered it. And it says he went away sad. Now, did he talk to anybody later that day? Did he have friends? Imagine that he went up to his friends and they said, well, buddy, you better do what Jesus says. Let us come around you and help. Or did they say, maybe sitting on his brand new couch, you just bought this couch. Why would you sell it? Do you have those friends? Because right now, some of you wrote something on that I will, and you're scared all of a sudden, because you're like, ooh. Do you have people that you could show that post-it note to? And they would say, oh, let me come around you and help. Right? Or are people around you going to say, oh, that's not necessary. Jesus said to his disciples then, as I believe he tells us now, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, and take up his cross and follow me. We are called to follow Jesus, to ask and obey. His cross was the cross, and you are most likely not being asked to die on a Roman cross. But Jesus does tell us to pick up our cross and follow him. For Ryan, the rich young man, in that moment in Matthew, he was told to sell his possessions and give to the poor. He was told to do this and then follow Jesus. What is the teacher, what is Jesus asking you to do? Have you approached him and asked? Are you open to listening to the answer? Would you please pray with me this morning? God, help us ask. Help us obey. Help us hear. Help us write down our I will this morning. Help us be your church. Amen.